Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, if we will, for this evening. And uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 6 for context, but uh, we're going to focus on verse 9 onward. Romans 5, verse 6, When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in God's house this evening. Paul comes into this exposition about the nature of our salvation. And here's the amazing thing. That up until this point in the five chapters of Roman that we have now worked through, this is the first time that he's mentioned the use of the word and the concept of salvation or being saved. In the Greek it's sozo, where we get uh, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. This is the first time in the fifth chapter of the whole part of Romans that he introduces being saved. Now, I think we should ask the question, is our understanding of Christianity based differently than Paul's understanding of Christianity? Because maybe, like me, for the most of your life, you have equated your Christianity with being saved, And matter of fact, when we evangelize, we use questions like this. Are you saved? Do you want to be saved? I remember an evangelist came into the church and he was teaching an evangelistic method based on the question, are you saved? Well, if you go to China and ask someone, are you saved? They're going to say, saved from what? Is is there a bus headed towards me? Uh, If you go down to... uh, um, You know, another culture, the Buddhists, the Hindus say, are you saved? They don't understand what that means. So I think it's important for us to know that Paul develops his theology for uh, 4.1 chapters before he even introduces being saved. And in order to introduce that, he says in verse 9, Since we are now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. So he starts his thought process of Christianity not with our salvation, but with our justification. And we know if you've been here for a few months, the word justified means to be made righteous. So when he's talking about your standing with God or your relationship with God, his aspect to begin with is not about your saving from something. It's your being something. He's not talking about your future. He's talking about your present. So he says, listen, 
You're already justified by Christ's blood. This means you're already made right with God. Is everyone still with me this morning, this evening? We're on the same page. He says, I don't want you to worry about your future. I want you to know who you are right now. And right now, you're made right with God. Therefore, since we have been justified before God through his blood, then we will be saved from wrath. Indeed, the New Living Translation says in verse 5-9, how many of you have the New Living Translation this evening? Okay, one person. It says, and since we have been made right in God's sight. Do you see that in your New Living Translation, verse 9? Been made right in God's sight. That's what justified means. (laughs) You've been made right with God. (laughs) You've been made right. Right in God's sight through the blood of Christ. This is who you are right now. This is not a future reality. This is a present reality of your identity in Christ. Right now, this very moment, you are right with God. Oh man, we need to get that through our thick heads this morning. We need to get that through the thick skin of our hearts that we are in a right standing with God. Because if we think we're something else through faith other than a right standing with God, we're going to spend all day trying to get right with God and therefore denying the finished work of the cross. How many of you, uh, uh, (laughs) let's just say this. You have arguments with significant people in your life. How many of you have arguments? Everybody, let's be honest right here in the house of God. You have arguments with significant people in your life. Okay, let me, let me just share a little illustration right here. For example, if me and my wife have an argument, there's a, an unspoken barrier. I better make right. You see what I'm saying? I better make right to undo the problems that I've done. Because if not, then I'm better enjoy the couch, okay? All right? But, but, but see, the, the thing is, in a human relationship, whenever there's a, a separation, then we have to do something to get that relationship right again. And this is what people think God is like. They think, oh, man, I let out a cuss word yesterday. I've got to come to the altar on Sunday. Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with coming to the altar, But you're not coming to the altar to get right with God. You're already right with God. Do you hear me? You don't wait to Sunday to get right with God. I mean, listen, we don't go into a confessional booth with a guy behind a curtain, uh, the magic room where our sins are washed away. We, We are right with God right now. And this is why the doctrine of the Reformation said there's no intermediator between us and God than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ has made us right with God. All right, so I don't go through Bella to get right with Tyler. I go straight to Tyler. And this is what Christ did for me. He went straight to God, rectified, reconciled my situation so that I'm in always right standing. Everyone's still okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've been made right with God. You need to write that in your Bible. Matter of fact, if you take notes in your Bible, you need to write right here above this scripture, I've been made right with God. That's what you should take notes about that. 
I wish that we could just throw up a pop tent and camp out right here on this topic all night, being made right with God. You have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I really think this looks like a comfy place to hang out for a moment because Romans 5.2 at the beginning of that chapter says, Through Christ, whom we have access by faith into this grace which we now stand. That we're standing in grace. Yes, indeed, it's a comfy place. You know how when you go in your house, man, you've had the, the shoes on all day long or, or the, the work boots or the office shoes, and you come on, you just kick the shoes off, and you feel, get them bedroom slippers on, them isotoners with comfort, purepedic uh, things going on, you know. It, uh, we're standing in grace. Let me tell you what, we're not standing on the rocky soil of legalism anymore. We're standing in a comfortable place. We're standing in a righteous place. Have you ever been to the beach and maybe you were staying at a campground or a hotel across the road from the ocean front? So you're at this campground or hotel and, and so you see the, the ocean there and you want to walk to the beach. But you know it's not a, a, a far distance to walk. So what you do is you decide to leave your flip-flops at your residence and you're going barefoot trek it. Down to the beach. You're like, well, I'm just going to get off and take my flip-flops off. I'm just going to leave them back here. So you decide to trek it down to the beach barefoot. But in order to get down to the beach, you've got to cross the hot black pavement with your bare feet. And most of us, were at the beach in July or August when it's just sweltering conditions. And did you know that in the summertime, that pavement can reach clearly above 150 degrees. I mean, it will scald you. It will literally burn you. And so <laughs> you're like, well, I don't really have far to go. So you're walk, you've got your, your beach chair and your, your water bottle and your, your umbrella, and you're coming down to the beach. You're walking across your campground. And then, you, and then we start doing the rain dance, <laughs> right, when we get across the road because it's just burning the mess out of us. And not only do we normally have to cross a road, but there's normally a parking area down at the oceanfront. And now you're trekking across like Lewis and Clark, the adventurer, on this uh, horrible surface. Thinking, man, how dumb am I? I could have just brought my flip-flops. And you can't stand it anymore. And listen, that journey is a journey of stress. That journey is a journey of, of worry. And you're like, am I literally going to have to go to the hospital because of this? It's a journey of worry. But you see, coming close to you, you see that beautiful, beautiful white sand. Every step makes you long for that white sand just a little more. And once you leave that scorching, hot legalism of the pavement... And you put your feet into that peaceful white sand. What a sense of peace, joy, and relief comes over your experience. Now, my friend, I want you to equate that whole story until uh, make it a parallel with your experience with Jesus Christ. That for your whole life in sinfulness, you are walking across this painful stressful, worried journey that was inflicted because of our sinful nature. 
Our sinful nature afflicted our condition. But once we got away from that into grace, now we can rest a little bit. Can somebody help me out today? We can rest in the nature of Christ, into that grace which we now stand. You know why? Because I'm not afflicted by that heat I used to be afflicted with. I'm no longer running for safety anymore. I'm standing in safety now. I'm no longer trying to get away from the heat. (laughs) I'm in the joy. I'm not trying to exit the problems. I'm in peace. This is our relationship with Christ. Let me tell you something, friend. Christ is not just the solid rock. He's also the peaceful joy. He is the peaceful rest. And guess what? I shall not be moved from this grace in which I stand. Because I want to be honest with you. I feel pretty good right here. (laughs) I shall not be moved because I'm resting where I'm at right now. Don't need to take me back over there because over there was excruciating. You see, once you see grace, you'll never want back over there again. You'll love the peace that comes through Christ. And, 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 and this is why people think, well, well, if you preach this if grace message over and over and over, it just gives a license for people to go back into sin. Who in the world wants to go back into torture? Who in the world wants to get away from this comfort zone, this joyful zone where I'm at in Jesus I don't want that sin anymore because that sin was hot and it kept reminding me of wrath. But this is not where we live anymore. I'm not in a situation where I have to worry about my rightness with God. I'm now right with God through Jesus Christ. I'm standing in grace. Scripture says, no weapon formed against me shall proper. Because you know why? The weapons can't remove my foundation of grace. And let me tell you something, friend. You get to the beach and you take your shoes off. You want to leave them off. Because I can feel the grace. Man, it feels so good on my worn out feet. And I'm just going to preach with no shoes on because I like it. You see, let me tell you something about the journey. When you're standing in grace, you can take out my eye, but my feet are still rooted in grace. Oh, oh, let me tell you something. You can take out my arm, but I'm still walking in the coolness of Jesus' love right now. This is why when you're standing in the grace of God, no weapon formed against me will prosper because the weapon can touch me, but not my foundation. My foundation won't be moved. Matter of fact, let's say you've just been hit, you've just been afflicted, and they hit you again, and you just go down to your knees. What happens? I can feel the grace anymore. Can somebody see this right now? If I'm all out, if I'm all in the grace, the foundation, the further you knock me down, oh my goodness, the better the grace feels. I'm going to be honest with you. I just might lay in it for a little bit because it's so cool. It's so comfy. No one wants to go to the beach to stand around. You get down in it. You get down in that foundation. And be honest, once I'm there, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. Because the glorious grace of the sun is shining down on me. And making me warm and all cozy inside. 
I hear the constant waves crashing of God's sovereignty on the beach of God's grace. Reminding me, oh devil, God's still in control. Because, you know what, you can go put up a barricade, those waves are still going to come. God's sovereignty will roll over your life. Aren't you glad that once you find out your identity in Christ, you don't have to beat yourself up any longer? God is not calling you to be a, a sadomasochist who inflicts injury upon yourself to bring about spiritual rightness. There was at one time a philosophy that the more I inflicted myself or afflicted myself, the more holy I would become. And literally, there's people that walk around with whips, whipping themselves because they believe if I torture myself, I'll be made right with God. God will be pleased because of my torture. Now, most of us is not walking around with whips, but I'll tell you what we are walking around with. We're walking around with condemnation and guilt, and we're afflicting myself, saying, oh, if I was just a little better, God would be pleased with me. Oh, if I just read my Bible a little more, God would be pleased with me. If I just, if I just spent a little more time in prayer, God would be pleased with me. And we're just beating ourselves up with the law. We're stepping back into the hot pavement of wrath when we don't have to be there. Christ wants us to stay rooted in grace. You don't have to condemn yourself anymore, my friend, because the scripture says we're justified through his blood. You are founded in grace. The blood of Jesus is the entry fee to the amusement park of God's glory. And once you go to Carowinds and you walk through that little turnstile, you come and there's a world of joy that awaits you. You don't go backwards through the turnstile because, you know what, the parking lot is pretty boring. You stay in the awesome place. <laughs> once you get in, let me tell you, there's a one way through Jesus' blood. Oh, somebody didn't get me on that. Jesus' blood is not an in or out. It's not one of them things, well, if you go out, you can't come back in. Let me tell you, if God brought you through, God will keep you true. Amen? He's the one that saved you. He's the one that will keep you. You come through the blood, let me tell you, you're going to stay there. You are right with God. What is the evidence that we will be saved from wrath? See, I ain't even got to being saved. I'm just talking about the current stuff. <laughs> I ain't even talked about hell. I ain't even talked about heaven. I'm talking about right with God now. And this is what Paul's talking about. Because you're right with God now, of course you'll be saved from wrath. You see his logic? Because you are righteous now, of course you won't go to hell. Man, I, I hope that, that you're not spending your Christian life wondering if God's still going to send you to hell for the things you've done. I hope you're not spending your Christian life wondering if you're going to make it to heaven. Because if you are, you're still on the pavement and you haven't found a sand yet. Let me tell you, when you find a sand, you're going to find a comfort and peace. And you're going to say, where has this been all along? It's been right there in the scriptures. It's been right there in the scriptures. This is, this is what illuminated Martin Luther. And you're like, why are you always talking about Martin Luther? Who is this guy? He was a Catholic monk who started reading St. Augustine's commentary on Romans. And when he got to the scripture which says we are justified by faith, 
he literally had a spiritual illumination that said no longer does he have to work to earn salvation. He literally, the whole Protestant movement was founded because of these scriptures. We're Baptists today because Martin Luther said, you're justified through faith alone. Solo fide, faith alone. That's it. But you know what? We always do the opposite. We always say, okay, now I guess I'm saved from hell. So now I'm going to spend my life trying to get right with God. Paul didn't do it that way. Paul said, I am right with God. So of course I'm not going to go to hell. What do we do? And modern evangelism, uh, modern evangelism says this. If you don't want to go to hell, you better come to Jesus. And so we come to Jesus because we're getting what we're getting saved from, not because what we're getting saved to. What we're getting saved to is a righteous identity in Christ. That I'm a child of God. I mean, if my dad gave me an ultimatum, uh, you know, if you don't cut the yard, uh, you're going to go to prison. Uh, but if you believe that I cut the yard, I'm going to throw a party. Huh. How many of you think I just want to believe that he'll do it? This is what Christ did. He says, either you can think that your own efforts are what's going to get you there and spend eternity separated, or you can believe that I've done it for you and come to the feast. How ridiculous is works-based righteousness? Works-based righteousness leads one place, and that is eternal damnation. Paul's logic is always the opposite of ours. He says, first and foremost, first thing, we are made right with God. And because of this, the righteous will not end up in hell. How many of us have heard this in our Christian life? We've always heard, you better make sure you're not going to hell. You better live right. You better get right. You better do this. You better do that. And then what we've made the gospel is about us. But when have we said, Jesus has done right, my friend. And when you see what he's made you, hell won't even be in the picture. Matter of fact, I'm, when you're in the house of God, when you're in the grace of God, I forgot about hell. <laughs> I was just worried about, man, he's so beautiful. This is so great. We are made right with God. Secondly, not only does Paul demonstrate our righteousness, but he demonstrates our reconciliation as evidence that we will be saved. Verse 10, he says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more since we are reconciled, we shall be saved. So in the preceding verse, he establishes our righteousness, saying if you're righteous, you'll be saved. Now he says, if you're reconciled, you'll be saved. So let's meditate on this reconciliation. That while we were his enemies, he exchanged places with us. Give you a little illustration here. When I was in Afghanistan, there were literally enemies on the other side of the fence. Literally enemies in the mountains who would launch RPGs, rocket-propelled grenades, into our bunkers, who would launch them at our airplanes, who would cut through the levels of fences with suicide vests on them 
so that they can come in and blow up soldiers. Now, praise the Lord, when I was there, they had protected the grounds. And and matter of fact, a week before I got there, they had launched an RPG, and it landed in the bunker which we were supposed to work in. Now, I want you to imagine that one of the American SP security police sees uh, a jihadist with his suicide vest on at the at the uh, fence, and he and he fires a bullet. And we're going to slow down time. Here comes this bullet out of the barrel. What Christ did is he was on this side of the fence. He took off his armor. He took off his robe. And he intercepted the bullet that was deserved for his enemies. That is reconciliation. That bullet was heading for you and me. And he got in front of that bullet. He took our place. He became us. So we could become him. That's reconciliation. He exchanged places with us. This is the whole message of the gospel. That if we are his children, why should we fear flames? Because if we're fearing the flames while in the house of God, we have not recognized grace. And the ministry of reconciliation... Is not that you deserve salvation, but that you never deserved it. That while you were an enemy of God, Christ died for you. Look at verse 8. It says this exact same thing, this concept of reconciliation. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for righteous people. Christ did not die for the holy people. He didn't die for the good people. He died for the sinners. And unless someone realizes they're a sinner, Christ did not die for them. Because he says, I did not come call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what happens is, the sinner is there, and Christ steps in the way and takes that bullet. The self-righteous says, nope, Christ, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to take the bullet myself. Uh, Isn't that ridiculous? That the self-righteous thinks, I can take what God's supposed to give me. What God God needs to give me is a reward for my works. Let me tell you, there, there is a reward for works, and it is damnation. That's the reward. So, because of Christ, he says, you know what? You look pretty filthy. So I'm going to die that my blood can cleanse you. He looked at your life and said, you're indeed separated from me and my blood is going to cleanse you. And now that you are clean, he declares you're righteous. That's justification. And now that you're righteous, he's going to let us take his place in heaven. That is what he says. I want you to turn over to Ephesians before we close tonight. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Go over to the right from Romans, just a few chapters. You find Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and it says this. And God, through Christ, raised us up together and made us sit 
together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now you hold on to that page right there. God has set us where Jesus sits. God has put us in Christ in the seat of Jesus. Now, have y'all ever been to some really important place and an important person gets up and lets you take their seat? I never really have. I've never really been to an important place. But let me tell you, the most important place of all, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus doesn't, <laughs> Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you can get in the back. Hey, you can come in the back door. He says, I'm going to let you have front row access where I sit. You're going to sit with me, my friend. Come on up here. You're going to sit at the privileged spot because of Christ Jesus. You see, I'm already with the Father. I am already right with the Father. Heaven is not a future reality for me. Heaven is a present reality for us. If I'm reconciled with God, let me tell you, it means you are better than Adam was. You are better off than Adam was spiritually. You see, Adam walked with God, but now God walks in me. Adam (laughs) held God's hand. God holds your heart. You're better off than Adam was. Adam had access in the garden to every nourishing food. But you and I have access to every nourishing blessing. How much better are we off than Adam? My salvation is not walking a tightrope, and if I slip, I'm going to fall. No, my salvation is in Christ alone, rooted in him. And guess what? Christ cannot be moved. Christ is not going to fall out of his chair. My sister, she was visiting my grandpa at the nursing home, and she literally fell out of her chair. While sitting there visiting in the nursing home with Grandpa, she was, she was reclined back, and it was kind of one of those computer chairs, and this thing just toppled over and fell right out of her chair onto the floor. Uh, you know, busted her back pretty good. Let me tell you, Christ isn't going anywhere. He shall not be moved. Our salvation is rooted in Him. If Christ has made me right with God, then how can I make me unright? If Christ has made me right with God then how can I make me unright? Am I more powerful than Christ? Some people think you are. Some people think, well, Christ has made me right. But actually, my works trump Christ. They think they're more powerful than Jesus. If Jesus secured your salvation, my friend, let me tell you, you won't unsecure what Jesus did. This is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That those whom Christ saves, Christ keeps. Did God the Father trust Christ with my justification, but now he trusts me with my sanctification? No. It all depends on who you look at in reference to your walk with God. If you keep looking at yourself, it will lead to a depressing Christianity. But joy is found in Jesus, not in you. This is one point where I disagree with Miss Oprah Winfrey. You see, Oprah says there is a spark of divinity within every human life. In some way, I agree that there's a spark, 
but I believe it's the flame of hellfire that's in the life of every human being. (laughs) We come out of the womb with the flame of hellfire in our bosom. And that fire will be kindled for our lifetime and will ignite upon our eternity. It's not the divinity that was in me that has to do with my salvation, but the divinity that was in Christ on the cross. As Ephesians 2 said, God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. Literally, God was making new people. Adam made the first people. Christ made the second people through the cross. You and I are a new breed of humanity. You and I are a new breed of human beings. Through Christ, we are made different. You see, my DNA is no longer traced back to Adam. And my friend, if you're a Christian, then your fatherhood paternity test does not say Adam. If you went on Maury Povich and they wanted to see who's the daddy, and we took the paternity test, there's not going to be question. Uh uh, is it Adam? Is it Christ? I don't know. No, it's Christ. Because Christ has booted Adam off of his place of reigning in your life and assumed the role of Abba. Christ is the daddy now. And some of us come from spiritually separated families because we don't know who our daddy is. We're wondering, well, is my identity rooted in Adam and sin? Or is my identity rooted in Christ and righteousness? Let Romans chapter 5 give us the DNA test and show us that his blood, it's not our blood, it's his blood that's made us righteous. He is my spiritual father, and guess what? My friend, like father, like son, if Christ was righteous, then you're going to be righteous. I don't want to be like Adam anymore. I want to be like Christ. This is why the preaching of righteousness brings about a new identity in you. Because no longer are you trying to get righteous with God. You are righteous. And tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. And you know what I'm going to think? I'm going to thank you. Number one, I'm a Watkins. But number two, I'm a Christian. Guess what? If I mess up tomorrow, it doesn't change my status of a Watkins. My dad may want it to. But my, my social security card is going to stay Watkins. Therefore, my behavior does not affect my identity, who I am. And what's true in the physical is also true in the spiritual. That your identity is unaffected because your nature is rooted in Christ alone. Let me end with this. Reconciliation is the better gift. He says at, at verse 11, uh, this, don't turn back there in Romans. We're still in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. The kids are still doing their thing. We got time. He says, Romans 5, 11, not only is this so, but we boast in God through our Lord, through, through whom we have received reconciliation. So he doesn't, he doesn't spend time on being saved. 
He does not spend time on being saved from wrath. His main thing is, look, my friend, we're not just happy because we're saved from wrath. We're boasting because we're reconciled to God. We're boasting because we're friends of God now. He goes to saying that being saved from wrath is, is just a small portion. It's a small part of the package. I mean, did you know I went to the car dealership and I bought a rear view mirror? There was a car attached to it, but I had a rear view mirror. <laughs> this is what we do. I went and I bought four tires. There was a car on it. But the four tires there. This is what happens when we talk about being saved and we take away from the bigger picture. Saving is just the rearview mirror. It shows us what we're saved from. Let me tell you, the front windshield is the righteousness of God. That's where we are. That's where we're going. That's what it's about. You see, the better part is not that we don't get wrath. It's that we do get God. We're now his friend. Dean, am I your friend? You invited me to your place of business, right? Dean makes motors for fast cars. He invited me to the place where he had authority because he was a friend, because I was his friend. Let me tell you what, you're a friend of God, and you have privileged VIP access into the realm of the heavenlies. Everywhere that God goes, you have access to. The angelic peacefulness, the Holy Spirit, the throne room, we have access because we're a friend of God. Reconciliation means I was God's enemy, but now I'm his friend, now I'm his child. I was outside the household, but now I'm a privileged guest. Christ has invited me to the banqueting table. He's given me the best seat. He's given me his own clothes. He's purchased me with his own blood. And he asked me to be his bride. Someone posted yesterday on a conversation that we were having. They said, yes, but we, will, we as Christians will pay for the sins that we commit. And I said, no, no, my friend. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The new covenant says he remembers our sins no more. How is God going to pay for something? How am I going to pay for something that God doesn't remember? Because it would have been a sad fact if on my wedding night, we got to the honeymoon suite, and I said, no, honey, over the past seven years we've dated, I've kept a record of every time you've done me wrong. And you're going to sit and time out for 15 minutes for every item on this list. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? This is what some Christians think is going to happen when we get to heaven. Well, Christ shed his precious blood so that we can receive the punishment that we're due. He called you to be his bride. His bride. His beloved for eternity. Oh, I pray that we would get away from our small picture of salvation. And I pray that we would repent of our limited theology that has made God look like us. One who simply lets people off the hook. But that we should magnify him because of amazing grace. And if you kept your finger there at Ephesians 2, 
I want you to read verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. You see, God wants you to know the exceeding riches of his grace through Jesus Christ towards you. The incomparable riches. Oh man, I'm going to tell you what. What you and I have is better than Donald Trump. Man, our inheritance is better than Bill Gates. Did you know Bill Gates is only going to leave his children $100 million? (laughs) This is true. (laughs) He says, I'm only going to give my kids $100 million because I want them to learn to work for the rest of it. Man, praise God, if I got $100 million, I ain't going to be working. (laughs) I'm going to be on the beach. Amen. (laughs) Man, what we have is better than Queen Elizabeth. The mansion that God has prepared for us is better than the Biltmore house. It's better than the Taj Mahal. My 401k plan is literally out of this world. Incomparable. Rust can't touch it. The economy won't damage it. And hell's not going to get in the way. Because Romans 8.39, as Paul says, he's, he is convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future... Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. What he's saying, he says three chapters later than what he says now. We're reconciled to God, we're made right, and even hell itself won't separate it. Hmm. Our nature is untouched by the devil. Our nature is untouched by present or future. You are rooted in the righteousness of Christ for eternity. I want you to lay your head on the pillow tonight. And I want you to know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you are made right with God. I want you to wake up tomorrow morning. And I want you to know that when your foot hits the bed, before you've even done your devotional, I'm made right with God. Because when we know we're right, then we approach him through grace. We don't approach him through condemnation or guilt. We don't hold our head down. We hold our head and gaze upon the beauty of the Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you've sent your son Jesus to pay on the cross to reconcile humanity to yourself through your precious blood. And I pray that we would walk away from this place knowing that our identity is rooted in you. And from that identity would proceed right believing, right thinking, and right living because we are children, friends, and the bride of God. These most precious things we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.